This is something you don't want to miss. On January 15th and 16th, I am running my free live class called Wanting It More 101, Increase Interest and Enjoyment Without Pressure or Guilt. I only run this class three times a year and here's what people say about it. This class was one of the only therapy type things I've ever attended that gave me a sense of hope and ownership. Jana explained hard to approach and awkward feelings in a way that didn't feel icky or uncomfortable. I felt so heard and seen. Thank you. If you love the podcast, you need to come to the class. I will explain in a step-by-step way why you don't feel desire and what to do about it. Your husband can join with you or you can share the recording with him or you don't even need to tell him you attended and there will be a recording. It will be sent out to everyone after we are done the two classes. But, and this is a big one, the chat box, which is full of so many hundreds of women's comments and contributions will not be available on the recording. So you definitely want to prioritize coming live if you can. We really do need community to heal from the damage that culture has done to both women and men. And this is how I offer it in a free way outside of my paid program. So if you want to learn how to want it more in a safe, comfortable, respectful, self-honoring way without pushing yourself, pressure, guilt, discomfort, or resentment, this is the class to come to. And just because I know that people are nervous, it makes sense. There is no way for people to hear or see you. It's not even an option on the type of Zoom meeting I use for these classes. Your privacy is very important to me. So all of the amazing discussions take place in the written chat area, and you don't have to participate in that if you don't want to. To register, go to janadentonhouse.com free class. There will also be a link in the show notes and choose which time you would like to attend, either Monday, January 15th at 1 p.m. Pacific time or Tuesday, January 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific time. The class is geared towards women, but many men find the content incredibly helpful. I hope you can attend and I also hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. You don't want to miss this one. We are going to have a fantastic conversation all about feminism and anger and realizing that it shows up in the bedroom and all of that stuff. Today, joining me for this conversation is Renee. Renee just completed Wanting It More, which is my program. And um, Renee, why don't you just, well, first, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jana. I am so glad to be here. It's such an opportunity um, that we weren't expecting and it feels like a treat. So really Ooh, glad to be here. Treat. I love it. I, me too. These conversations are everything for me. So before we get started, do you want to just share a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm Renee and I live on the East Coast, um, married to a wonderful man. We've been married for six years now, together eight Um Let's see. I am a business owner. I am an entrepreneur. It's a major passion of mine. Uh, It has me traveling quite often, which introduces challenges to married life. Um, But I'm also like an avid traveler just globally as well. I love people. I love culture. I love kind of soaking it all up. So a busy life, full life, um, and still manage to find time to fit whim in there. (laughs) Hear that, everyone? All those emails I get from women who are like, is this the right time? I'm busy. I I keep on thinking, is there any a non-busy time? Does that ever 
happen. I don't think so in our culture. It It really doesn't. Uh, And I'll, you know, without jumping too far ahead, uh, you know, one thing my husband and I realized is like, God, we wish, we wish, we wish, we wish we had done this five years ago. Um, the, the value of time became really clear to us in this process, like, oh, we could be so much further along in this very difficult work that we're, you know, we're, we're going to be doing for the rest of our lives. So, but yeah, you make the time. And one other thought around that, I had the same concerns and I found the content so addictive, Jana. I was like, I need to go to sleep. But then I'm in Mighty Networks, reading content and trying to tell myself to go to bed. Um, it it became very addictive very quickly. So the time after two weeks in, I wasn't I wasn't struggling to balance my schedule anymore. Yeah, that's definitely what I find too. I, I'm the same way. And and for those of you who are listening, Mighty Networks is just the discussion forum, the online program we use to to host all our content and also have those really good, juicy, kind of like our little secret corner of the internet conversations. So, so wonderful. Such a wonderful space to be. I honestly, I don't know. I don't know how this program would function without it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a place of vulnerability. It's a place of specificity, which is one thing I really needed was examples and details um, that let me know, oh, this is normal. I am normal. Um, It's, it's, it's just, yeah, the community was incredible, is incredible. We, you know, we're continuing on after the program. So Mm -hmm. yeah, we need to know, we need to have a place to say the truth. It, because this topic is so shrouded in secrecy and shame and hush hush and nudge nudge wink winks from people <laughs> talking about the real stuff. Oh my god, there were so many times I was literally there, like hold, like biting my nails, like oh my god, I can't believe she just wrote that. And <laughs> I, I, but I'm like, but it's fucking true. Sorry, it's true. It's true, and it emboldened me throughout the program to talk about things like masturbation, right? Um, ED, you know, things that were such sources of shame in our culture, but because someone else had the courage to say something vulnerable. So Mm -hmm. yeah, love that space. So good. All right. Let's take it back for a second into your childhood, adolescence, early, you know, young adulthood. What were some of the, what was your sexual experiences like? What your sex education like? Yeah. What was a little bit of the early days for you? All right. So, uh, mostly in the dark, right? Um, we did not, we did not, I wasn't raised in a religious household, which I think is a common thing for a lot of people, but I went out and found the church on my own. And that changed my relationship with the church. I was so committed to it. I had to battle to go to church because everyone in my family was like, no. So I really internalized a lot of my early church learnings um, and fundamentalist, like apostolic church. So dresses, no makeup, all of that. Um, the extent of sex ed from my parents was my father saying to me, a lot of people have sex because it feels so good. And I remember him saying it sarcastically like that. He said, but what it really is, is an opportunity for you to get pregnant. Don't do it. That was my sex ed talk from my parents. And, um, 
you know, there was, there was just no conversation. We didn't see PDA with them, just even any forms of intimacy. Like we just, it was just this no fly zone. So I got it at home and then I got it, you know, on my own volition in church. And, um, but then at the same time, so I, I graduated from school pretty early. So I was, I was young in high school, uh, quite a few years, few years younger than everyone else and um, wanting to fit in, right? I'm the Dookie Hauser. So I'm listening to young teenagers with their hormones raging, um, talking about how just cool sex is and how, you know, so I just, I had two completely contradictory messages, neither one of which was accurate or healthy. And I had sex very early. Uh, my first encounter was 13 and I walked away from it like, aha, I've done it, you know, and now I'm cool. Like just, oh, it's just so, God, so stupid when I think about it in hindsight, all the, all the things you're doing for acceptance acceptance with your family, acceptance with church or acceptance with your peers. So, and I did, I did all the wrong things with in a vacuum of information. Yeah. So common. Wow. What a, yeah. yeah. So then, um, then you met your partner at some point along the journey. What was that experience like? Boy, how much time do we have? Okay. So um, I'm biracial. I'm black and white. Uh, my community is black. My experiences are black. Uh, if you can even say such a thing, it's kind of BS. But um, my my world has been largely African American, and my partners throughout life have been African American. And there's a lot tied up with, um, you know, it's kind of the dehumanization of black men historically in this country, and certainly currently. So. Uh, and there's a lot of rage that comes, understandable rage that comes with that. And then layer on top of that, a need to kind of prove your manhood and your masculinity, all the stereotypes around like, you know, we, we don't have time today, but just <sighs> black, what black love looks like and um, how black men are supposed to perform in the bedroom and, you know, we're supposed to want that, right? And we need to, our role is to kind of, reinforce and reassure them that they, yes, they are men, even in this nation that tells them they aren't. So then I meet this white man in an airport who is uh, significantly older than me, significantly 23 years older than me. All the, all the things that I, I just never in a million years could have ever pictured myself with someone like this. Um, but he came in like a Mack truck and, uh, there was no guile, no pretense, just very direct. He was interested in no game playing, just, just courted me, you know, all the traditional media things, the flowers and the, you know, making an effort and we were long distance and it just swept me off my feet, completely swept me off my feet. And if I'm honest about it, I had a lot of unworthiness issues, you know, oh boy, here's this little brown girl and she's dating this my husband was, was wealthy, um, you know, and very privileged, you know, a graduate education. And whew, I, I don't, I mean, I don't really know what he sees in me. I have some theories, but dealing with some unworthiness there, the age, the generation difference and the ethnicity difference. And that made for a soupy, soupy mix in the early years. Um but he he's he's just he's just wonderful, wonderful man. Um, I don't know if we want to get into this now, but dove, dove into this program with 
both feed in and he's a busy executive. So I was like, babe, maybe if you have time, you can spend a minute, catch one of these here or there, but I want to do this because I'm broken. And I think this will fix me. That's my initial thinking coming to this. And, uh, you know, he has the high libido and I had the low libido and I just, so many things that tell black women that we're broken in some way. And, and that was, you know, sort of that, that cultural difference was one of the things that I brought to this program. Um, so yeah, so that's just a little backdrop on him and how we met, but it was like, we met instant connection. We were together immediately stopped dating other people and got married three years later. Oh gosh. I have so many questions for you. Can I just uh, one little point here, just in terms of, cause you've had experience being with a, with black men is also now with your husband who's white. Uh, and you said, you said something that I just want to highlight in, in the intersection of race and gender. You were saying something about the, because black men are in a culture that, um, that kind of strips away, would you say some of their humanity? Absolutely. And so that it sounds like you were saying it shows up even like the, the traditional masculine traits are showing up even stronger is that oh, what you're saying absolutely I, I so I, and i don't think it's just black men i think most men of color in this nation are dehuman so you're they are living in this this no win space right they're either not a full man right you're not you're not a full human you're not a full man or if you are a male like truly manly and masculine you are a threat right so they are dancing this dance of like trying not to be threatening but not being seen as you know as a full-fledged man in this in this country and so layer on top of that so okay that is a perfect recipe for toxic masculinity right you just when you are constantly told you're not you feel the need to prove that you are um and it's understandable right that makes sense then layer on top of that that black men and women are hypersexualized in media i did a study on this one time just doing you know a content analysis of just you know black women are shown exact same ad right mm -hmm. blonde white blue eyes she's in this white dress the the black woman is in this sultry low cut red dress right the music is different like it's just we are so hypersexualized in this country and how do you not internalize that Right. And so, you know, whether it's like, oh, you know, can you, you know, all night long till the break of dawn. Right. It's in our music. It's in our language. It's in the way, you know, men and women brag amongst each other. And, you know, it, it's it's terrible, but it's it's one way that you can assert I am a man. Right. I, you know. I skip put it but sleep, right? Like I I put it down in the bedroom. And that is very formulaic what 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 that looks like. Um and, and if I could just say it, there's a level of like, well, just how freaky are you? Right. That shows you are, you know, um, and it's it's tragic because it's it's not at all about real intimacy or real pleasure. It's about asserting that you're a man. Okay. One more question. Thank you for sharing that. This is so, so helpful to understand. You were saying in terms of black women being sexualized in media, do you think that it translates into black women then being expected even more so to be available and to be like 
wanting it at any time. And then does that then translate to even deeper shame, perhaps, or feelings of broken when that brokenness when that doesn't happen? I mean, I know you can only speak for yourself, you know. Yeah, it's that, you know, it's tough to say, because I'll tell you, you know, quietly, in, in our circles, we talk about black men defecting to white women, because white women will do anything, right. And we have standards about what we will and won't do. Um, But, you know, you know, a a white woman's not going to say no, she'll do whatever freak nasty thing you want her to do. And so, you know, black men, they, there's so many reasons Black men, God, we don't have time to get into colonialism, but so many reasons, the adoption of standards of beauty and trophyism and all that, that, you know, Black men defect. But I do think that, I don't think Black women, at least the women in my circle, highly educated circle of Black women, um, that there's a layer there that's important, feel, uh, I, I, I don't think you feel the need to be extra you know, but I do think there is this, what I've come to understand through whim is how much we've internalized that, that we don't even know. We don't own, we aren't aware of even. Um, and it's so much of it is in music. It's in R&B and hip hop. And that's, you know, that's a source of comfort in our world. You've listened to music all day long. And so there's, I think there's a lot of programming there about what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be in the bedroom and how we're supposed to hold down black men. And that may or may not translate into a a level of sexual performance. I can't speak for other women, but I do think for me, it did. Um, I do think I felt a sense of freedom once I married a white male that um, I didn't, there weren't, you know, certain things that you just, you're, you're expected to do. I felt much more confident saying no to him. And, and he didn't ask for or expect uh, some of the things that I had historically in my twenties and thirties been asked to do. So um, there is a difference there, but I, I'd be reluctant to generalize to a whole group. Um, But I do think, I do think the messages in music are particularly affecting for black men and women. It was insatiable on his part, insatiable, Janet. And I was just like, this is not like nothing. I love mac and cheese. Mac and cheese every day is not tasty anymore. Like it's just, yeah, it was, it was insatiable. And so then, um, then, then the problem, then it's, you know, it started feeling like, you know, you're aware of the imbalance. You, as you know, you start thinking about that imbalance all the time. You start manipulating your behaviors, your schedule, like uh, the travel we plan, the, the the time I'd be at home or not home. Like you just go through so many machinations to avoid uncomfortable conversations, to not reject him, to hurt not hurt his feelings. Like you just start t- twisting yourself into a pretzel to prevent prevent problems, to prevent conflict, to prevent hurt. And, um, and it just never, we had the same conversation, the same argument over and over. And, and I wouldn't even say it was an argument, um, but he wasn't feeling like I loved him. You know, he was like, because, you know, touches, I don't, I'm not really subscribing to love language anymore, but he, he believes touches his love language as I think most men probably do. Um, But he was concerned that, you know, I was losing my, my love for him. And 
I was feeling like he was breathing down my neck and it was beginning to literally begin. My husband is beginning to annoy me um, with something that feels frenetic and desperate and, you know, puppy dog. Yeah. Yeah. Retention all the time. So it was, yeah, it was quick and it, it, it dropped off pretty quickly. Um, Mm. And we would never, we've never been, we would never been the type to go like a year without sex, but uh, it wouldn't be uncommon to go a month, you know, and then it became five weeks and it became six weeks. Um, And then it was like, okay, let's do it to check off the box because he's starting to get a little like twitchy around the eyes and the hair is starting to look like, and he's just like, (laughs) he starts looking a little disheveled and frenetic uh, after a certain amount of time. And it's like, okay. um, So it became a duty cycle of yours. Yeah. It's, I hate that word. And he, you know, he used to say like, I don't want to do it if it's a chore for you. I don't want to do it if it's a duty. And I'm like, it's not a duty. And I, I, but it's what you have to do when you're married. Like yeah, in this context, it is becoming a duty and an obligation. Now I see that it was, yeah. but you know, at the time you don't, you just, you're just trying to navigate it. You're just trying to manage it. You just get into management mode, which is deeply unintimate. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were, we were that way for literally up until the point you know he was like can we talk about therapy and I'm a big proponent of therapy um but I had gone to a sex therapist who immediately started blaming him in a quite vicious way that uh turned me off um part of that is is it my fault and you're just not willing to look at that with me or do you hate men like it was just it was such a bad experience so uh I was like okay let me see if I can find something else besides like a classic therapist which is a crapshoot you got to go through dozens of them and and that brought us here to Jana and Wim what you hear. So one topic I really wanted to talk about, which I teased at the beginning was you, you, you know, you present as a very confident, empowered woman, you're in business, you, you're well-educated. Um, I'm guessing like feminist, feminist leading or identify Absolutely. in that way. And it was interesting to watch, and and you're it's not unique to you. This is I see this quite often is that women who identify that way come into whim, and it's like they're learning this for the for the first time. And my assumption was always that women who identify this way would would already have known, like already know what messages we're getting in the media, already will have set clear boundaries and. But, but so maybe you could just share a little bit about what that journey was like for you, especially in week one, when we talk about culture. A little bit. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I wish this was two hours. Um, I think, oh, God. Okay. Let me give you what I think I learned. And then maybe we'll talk about the journey in a little more detail. I, as a female entrepreneur, I started in corporate seeing the discrepancies and the inequities in women and, you know, for women in business, um, just pissed me off. Right. And, you know, it's, you know, and it's, 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 it's all around us. It's in, it's in medic medicine, it's in business. It's, you know, it's the trite examples of going to the auto mechanic, but it is, it is literally pervasive how 
women are treated and valued differently in our society. Um, and the standards that we're held to uh, <laughs> relative to men are nauseating. And so I had all that righteous fire going in um, to this course. But what I learned is that my, I, my, I identify as a feminist. I know this about myself. I think I've already got it all figured out. And you, in doing so, you tend to look a lot at what's out there and what other people are doing and systems of female oppression. But it's very rare that you look at it on your own individual one-on-one -on -one level of what you've internalized. You think, at least I, I don't want to project, but I would think because I would have the courage to hold someone accountable in my business, or I'd have the courage to hold a mechanic accountable for sexist behavior that I've got this in the bag. Like, oh, I don't, this doesn't, no, I know what, I know what these inequities are and I stand up for them and blah, 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 blah. And <laughs> it's so, oh God. The world of sex and intimacy is in just this totally different space. It's in this totally different space that we are, we were never taught to examine. And so, you know, when would I have done that? And so you just kind of pack this thing away and you go flex your feminism in all these other areas of your life. And I would even say that I would think that I was fairly feminist in the bedroom because I would say no to things that hurt. You know, it's it stunned me how many women in the class were like, I would power through painful sex. If something hurts, I'm the no. Um, so I'm like, oh yeah, no, I do, you know, I stand up for myself, you know, I I took the pills, you know, I know, you know, I'm like control of my reproductive cycle. Um, you know, I I I thought the little bits of no. I was saying meant that I was exercising, I was battling the patriarchy in the bedroom and I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I, it's terrifying to examine how much you have internalized. It's terrifying uh, because it really makes you question like what else you're missing um, in, in those other areas of your life. So you started us off to talk about the journey, uh, you started us off with compassion, which I just thought was this kind of candidly, kind of a fluff, <laughs> like, oh, okay, I guess they want us to be kind to what our husbands are bringing to the table. And yeah, I guess we'll learn some things about ourselves. And, but it just felt like a wasted session to me, honestly, until. I love your honesty here. This is so great. <laughs> it's such a fluffy word, compassion. <laughs> You know, we think we think we're kind to ourselves, especially those of us who are like, you know, self-care Sundays and like, you know, especially sister circle time. And we do a lot of bolstering and nurturing of each other. And, you know, you think you are being good to yourself. But in this whole unexamined space over here, it, it's just like it's like mildew growing in a, a in below a staircase in your house that you just don't. You just, there's so much going on under there that you just. Yeah, I I got to media formula. I hope it's okay for me to say what. Oh, you can. Yeah, anything. okay. Yeah. So the second the second path, you know, we start looking at media, and 
you know these things intellectually. Um, yeah, okay, it's very formulaic and, you know, you don't, it's, it's you know, male gaze in media and male pleasure and you, you know these things intellectually, but you just, you never do the connection. You never do the, okay, well now let me take a look at that in my bedroom. You do it with your healthcare, you do it with your business. I think you even do it with your family. I'm not a mother, but I see many of the women in my circle thinking about how they're raising their daughters to have, you know, uh, a mindset of equity and empowerment and all that. But like the bedroom is just, just third rail. You just don't touch it no matter what. And so I would, I never made those connections. And I think maybe even in week two, I hadn't even started doing that. It wasn't until we started getting to what does pleasure look like? And I had a big blank space mm. and I couldn't answer those questions. And that has been incredibly difficult that I realized like, oh, I have been running on scripts and that's all I've been running on for 30 years. Yeah. literally scripts. I don't actually know anything about myself in this space. And I, I just internalized, I internalized so much of what the media said about this is what you do. And not even just like formulaically what you actually do when you crawl into bed, but just like, if you're married, this is what you do. Like, uh, you know, you, I, I don't, I, I don't know how to put this. Yeah, like you you have uh, it, sex regular sex being defined as intercourse, penis goes in the vagina, there's an orgasm. It's important to think about your husband's needs and furthermore this is a need and it's not really your need, it's his need and all those things which yeah. are still hanging out in my brain, Jana. They're Forever. still they're Renee, yeah. forever. I don't <laughs> think that they're going and I don't think you know I was talking to my husband the other day during a sexual experience. Yes, you can talk and have a sexual experience at the same time. What? <laughs> what? Opposed to what <laughs> the sex formula says. So, I was talking about how it's it's like a post traumatic syndrome or something. I I need to figure out language for this. I haven't seen anyone talk about it specifically around this, but the conditioning for men and women is so strong. I have been working at this for years. Yeah. And and yet still after a sexual experience, if my husband hasn't had an orgasm, I get anxiety. I don't yeah. I don't see it. I think you get better at catching it and, and being compassionate to yourself. It makes sense that I am running this script because I have been conditioned my whole life. This is my socialization. I don't know if it's going to ever leave me. It's, it's so sad. It's so maybe, it's, maybe it, our next generation, maybe two gener, maybe three generations, but, yeah. and I don't think that, I mean, I'd love your take on this. Are things getting better? I mean, some things are getting better, but yeah. in the world of sex, in the world of porn, in the world of the media, yeah. it's getting worse. I, Agree. Oh God, I have so many things I want to say. Okay. So one, I have a younger sister and, um, you know, I've been fortunate to be exposed to kind of her friend group and I see a sex positivity and a body positivity that I know my generation and my mother's generation didn't have. And I celebrate it and I love to see it. However, I, and I, this is not 
I hope this doesn't come across as prudishness, but the stacking, you know, the body count, right? The stacking up of sexual partners as a, as a form of personal empowerment that I see is what's being trumpeted in music right now. And I love Meg Thee Stallion, but like we have music right now that's saying, go out there and get yours. But what is it you're going to get? Because it still looks a whole lot like male centered pleasure. And so I, you know, it's, it's like one step forward, two steps back. Like I, I see some things improving. I certainly see communication happening, which is very exciting. Um, whether that's around, you know, um, are just our bodies, right? And I think so many of us are not in our bodies. So hearing women talk more openly about their bodies, that that all plays into actually achieving pleasure in the bedroom. So I think the communication is improving around our bodies. And I do think that this next generation knows something's wrong. They, they can't quite, you know, they might not have the language yet, or they might not have the pathways yet, but they know that what they saw their parents doing, their mothers were miserable and their dads were stepping out getting all their, you know, needs met and their moms were miserable or, you know, in our community, they're bringing home HIV, right? And you just eat, like, we just had so many problems. So I, I think, I think there is some progress. I also think it's, it's, beautiful to see um, the conversation around gender identity mm-hmm. and what, you know, the queer community is bringing to the conversation about, well, who says that's right, right? Mm-hmm. They are the ones who are questioning and they're making us all question like, well, you know, it's just like colonialism. Well, who said white is right? Like who decided that? Who said this, this approach to sexuality is right? And we're not going to progress until we start talking about it. And they have started a dialogue that people can't even ignore now, even if they try to, it's everywhere. So, so I do think there is progress, but I don't, I agree, Jan, I don't think we're going to see it. Um, yeah. It, it's kind of maybe the stages that humanity has to go through like one stage right now. Well, before was silence and now there's less silence, but what I'm seeing is empowerment is being, connected to being sexy or so empowerment means to wear a crop top I've got teens Uh, empowerment means to have sex with whoever you want empowerment means but it's still not true pleasure right it's still it's still a performance and it's like a you're gonna objectify me well I'll objectify me first it's very teenage yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, I, yeah. I love it's that analogy stage. of like yeah. the stages. And I also think, you know, we tend to operate like very reactive, like our culture is like swings on a pendulum, like, okay, you know, this doesn't work. We're going to swing all the way to the other end. And, you know, eventually that pendulum settles on a, on a healthy middle, but I think we're on the other end of the pendulum swing right now. And, you know, our daughter's daughters are going to be like, ma, like (laughs) you were out there doing the most and you still aren't happy. So um, yeah, I, I, I think there's a long, long road ahead. Um, Yeah. Yeah. 
So anger, how did that uh, show up for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. earlier, you know, I was saying, oh, I, you know, it's very sad. I, that's been a new development, the sorrow, because uh, I started angry and I'm still angry. Um, I, I... <laughs> start. I think, you know, one of the things I mentioned in the community was it's the workplace is the only place we have safety. And it's very limited, even at that. But that's the only place where if someone walks by and they pinch your ass, you know, or they say, oh, looking good, you know, you, in theory, have some recourse, in theory. But there's a growing understanding in the workplace that not even that that's not appropriate, but like, hey, we're actually peers, and what you're doing is a power structure, it's a power dynamic. And that, no, we're peers. So there's there's that growing understanding. And that understanding doesn't exist in any other space that I have seen in my life. And my naivete as a feminist <laughs> was thinking that I had it in my home, right? <laughs> like with your so knight in good. your knight in shining armor <laughs> came and Wonderful. swept you off your feet with his flowers and his wealth and his <laughs> fancy literally stuff. this man would literally do anything for me and I'm like well I've got it at home yeah. got it at work and you know that that empowers you when you're literally walking down the street and the, the, you know, not the, not a couple months ago, I was coming out of my hotel to my car, putting my bags in a trunk at some guy, a couple cars over, offered me money to go back up into the hotel room with him. And I'm in, I'm in business casual clothing with my, tr- my professional travel luggage, my to me and my away, right? The classic symbols of a business traveler. And I, I was just flabbergasted. I mean, I know that viewers can't see me, but you can see me. I mean, there's, there's nothing suggestive about my what I wear or how but it's not even about that like that's that's what it's just so pervasive this sense of you know entitlement and uh, and uh, we're here to service them it's so ingrained and as I was examining that through week two and week three and and confronting my own difficulty identifying my own pleasure and as I critically examined like wait is that my pleasure or again do I feel good because I'm meeting someone else's definition of pleasure and how many empty blank spaces there were there for me girl I was pissed 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 I was like there's just nowhere that's safe for us it's not safe in my home it's not safe it's really not even that safe at work but we were trying to get there you know uh, anger like blood red rage and I I, at the at the at that point I was I was concerned I was going to get through the program because I I was like I can't even I can't even see my way to pleasure I'm just so fucking angry at these men right now um and oh that's why Janicek on passion (laughs) okay there it comes Ah, ah, she she might she might be on to something there may be a reason for this sequence um that was my saving grace in this in this program because i'm angry i'm i'm angry at how pervasive the entitlement is and it's with strangers it's with sometimes even family members 
just the things that they, you know, oh, you know, you, you should really, you know, make some, make an effort. Like I've been on the road for five weeks straight. I haven't slept in three days. Like I, what do you mean make an effort to be physically attractive to you, right? Or what black women are all the time resting bitch face, right? You should smile. Why, you, you look so much prettier when you smile. I know you, you've heard all this stuff, Jana, but the, the audacity, right? Just the pure audacity for you to weigh in on my physical appearance and how pleasing it is to you as a man, especially mm-hmm. if you're a stranger. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. And when you say you didn't feel safe in your home, can you elaborate or you discovered that you weren't feeling safe in your home? Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, I didn't. I I only had a vague inkling of it. I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, knowing that my husband may listen to this podcast, but um, I, I think I really only had a vague inkling of it in certain scenarios. I knew, I know my husband finds me physically attractive, but I knew that if I undressed to get into bed or, you know, he would look at me. What I wasn't expecting was if I went to my closet to take off my fuzzy sheep jammies, right? And put on a pair of sweats to go downstairs. Nothing, there's nothing I'm intending to be sensual about that. It's a functional task that I I, I realized I would look over and he would be watching and deriving pleasure from that, which is, an, which it's, it's, it's so invasive and yeah, you're not consenting to that in the moment at all at all and it's like well it's just it's just me looking it's just me appreciating and i can understand i can understand his compassion or i can view his his perspective with compassion now but what i know is i it's no different than a construction worker whistling at me and now i'm wondering you know is my skirt too short which is not you know i wear knee length skirts when i even wear skirts but like F all of that. Like I shouldn't even be having to assess what I'm like you deriving like this pleasure when I'm not in that place felt it just felt invasive. Um, it's a taking rather than a mutual experience together. It is. And you feel exposed and what you, what you do physically is that's, those were the things I noticed. I found, okay, it starts as you turn around to take off a shirt, right? You take the bra off, turned around. You know, it's these little things that start in the bathroom, lock the door, lock the door. How do I lock my door in my own house? But sure as day, I go in the bathroom, hubby knocks on the door. Um, You know, in the early months, you know, he'd knock and just open and start speaking in. And you would think it was a burglar, the way my physical body was reacting to that, like, (gasps) you know, like, grab the boobs, cover the hoo-ha, like, yeah. and just, and, and just feeling exposed. And yeah, so you start locking the door, you start going into the closet and closing the door behind you and changing in this tiny little cramped space. Um, I have to now think about what I'm going to wear around the house. You know, it's some things that are very comfortable are also very revealing, right? If you don't want to wear a bra and you wear a thin, you know, lounger around the house, you can see all the curves, all the nips, all the things, but you know, you walk down the stairs and he's going to be staring and wanting. Or a comment or something or an expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and then it just, it just multiplies because when you start those protective behaviors, if you slip, so now I haven't worn anything thin in a couple of years. 
you walk down the stairs with something thin, how is he not going to construe that as, oh, she's trying to get my attention because she doesn't normally wear that stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's it just snowballs so rapidly out of control where, you know, I, I, he was stunned when I told him, like, I don't want to walk upstairs in front of him. You go first because I know you're looking at my butt you know, or slap it or something. Yeah. You know, and, and you, I find myself turning my, my bum away from him in just everyday casual settings, like all the little protective physical manipulations. So I was, I was very, I was, I was becoming aware of that, but it was all to head advances off. I didn't, until you said the word safety, I, I hadn't made that connection though. And it's, it is a triggering word. I know it was for a lot of people in the class and some people it didn't resonate with, but it hit home for me. And I, and, you know, one of the gifts of this program was learning to start listening to my intuition and my inner dialogue more in this space. Cause I listen to it all the time when it comes to work, but in this space and I, I, not three weeks ago, Jana, not three weeks ago, I was in the shower and I was like, I wonder if he's left yet. And I was like, I'm going to wait before I go down because it'll be safe to, and we're, we're already through the program, but I heard myself use that word. And I was like, Oh, oh my God, it is safety. Like that is what it is. So. Yeah. yeah, And I think it's hard for us to use that word, even though it is the word, because we have a very, very specific definition of what it looks like to be a man who doesn't provide safety for somebody. Yeah. And that's that's incongruent with our belief about the men that we married, that the men we chose to be with, the, the good men, the wonderful right. husbands, the kind right. people, the human beings that we 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 do life with. Right. And so it feels uncomfortable to admit that that is actually what we're experiencing. It feels so incongruent. It it conveys malice. It conveys intent to harm, which is not where they're at. You know, they they have a whole different set of programming and cues and they genuinely believe what they're doing is making us feel loved appreciated beautiful um, sexy yeah and the and if what I they've just, been taught right <laughs> and I will say they do what they want he wants all those things from me and it's so it's so hard for him to understand that I don't want those like mm-hmm. you know one of the things you sh- you shared in the class was like we're, we're not going to understand the other perspective and that's actually okay enter compassion right mm-hmm. that it's kind of futile to try to explain some of these things because you're never going to understand his experience as a man he's never going to fully understand your experience as a woman um and it's that's just- one of them yeah, I I will never I will never understand experience of a person of color. It's just I I haven't lived that I don't live in that world. How can I? And same thing with with men and women. Yeah. So yeah, enter compassion. So moving from yeah, come anger and and just a you know a, a thought about anger is it's okay. It, it makes sense. I mean, anger is an indication that something is wrong. There is an injustice taking place. This is this isn't a good experience. Things need to change. Yeah, Th- that's the, yeah. the beauty of anger is that it, it highlights things that are not working. It's and- a, it's it's a massive motivator. It is yeah. why I started my company twenty years ago. I was angry at the corruption in the business that I was in, um, 
it is a it's a sustaining motivator for quite a long time. Uh, and I you know I remember people saying, oh, you know, vision and passion and all that is you know the best motivation for business. But anger carried me for a solid decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I I am now like I'm this anger around this space is what gives me the courage. And it, it requires real courage. We had an XD yesterday to say so many things. And it's, uh, for me, it won't be for everyone, but for me, it's the anger is underneath that. That is what's giving me the strength to say no to this, or I want this, or this is what I think when this happens. Um, Because otherwise it's, again, I feel like I'm kind of asking for permission or I'm trying to patch or solve or fix. Anger is clarifying in a way that it's hard to articulate. It makes it like, this is broken over here and I'm not going to settle for that anymore. So it, I must articulate what my need is in this state, which is a, that, that more than anything, I, I've been horrified at how I, I don't, I have not, oh God, it's so even hard to put these words together. How I don't, I, I don't have any experience communicating in this space and how terrifying it is. I, I've, I've presented I, I present to C-suite people. I present to hundreds of people in conferences. I, I, I can speak, not in this space, with this man who loves me and would literally die for me. And I, it is a brand new limp muscle that I'm trying to learn how to use. And boy, that anger is what's carrying me right now. Later, as the muscle grows and all the benefits come from it, I'm sure you know I won't rely on the anger so much. But right now, it's sustaining. Yeah. Sometimes I say to John, my husband, I say, I just need to be angry at culture together. Like I need to rage at culture and I need you to rage with me. Like how did this, how has this happened to women? How, and also on the flip side, how has this happened to men? Yeah. Because the, the, this plot line, the story is men just want to get into everyone's pants and they just need orgasm is not true. We right. have proven that wrong with whim. If you listen to the episodes with men, you will hear them talk about finally experiencing true connection, right? true intimacy, because finally it's a mutual experience. It's not unilateral anymore. Right. And they, he, he, we just talked about this yesterday. He will know when I do something that I really want to do it. He's in this uncomfortable place right now of mm-hmm. like, we're just, we're creating so much space. I'm not taking the next step on a lot of things. I'm intentionally disrupting the pace of things. And it's very uncomfortable, but we talked about this yesterday. When I do something, he knows it's not, this is what I should do next. Mm-hmm. This is, this is a script. I'm, I'm, I'm doing it now because I know that I miss it or that I want this or that it brings me pleasure. And that's hugely rewarding for him. I think at the end of the day, men really just want to know that they're wanted, they're valued, they're appreciated, right? Um, and that they're seen as men. Mm-hmm. And and what culture has told them how to get that is a, it's a it's a quick hit. It's a it's a it's a quick drug. It's, it's a lie too. It's yeah. a lie. It's true connection isn't when it's happening because someone feels like they're obligated to do it to provide a need for you. That's not that's a one-way experience. And so they're they're sold we're all sold a lie. It's a yeah. big lie, a cultural lie. And yeah, it is 
from time immemorial, it seems like that we are breaking through. And yeah, so forever and ever for the rest of our lives, we will be every step of the way uh, doing it more intentionally and with a lot more thought. And we will definitely have moments where we we go down that old path and then we catch ourselves. Wow, I am doing something in the bedroom, which I am not enjoying. And I've been doing it for 10 minutes. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Because, because this is what you do. Like, this is what you do. It's yeah. just, it's, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm so angry about how much of my life it's just been running on a script and, yeah. and, and worse feeling good about that, whatever that good is like, I'm doing it right. Yeah. But it's just, it's such a joke. It's such a half-life and yeah. we're not going to do it right anymore. We're going to do it. Like what's the, what's the other word, the alternative word, but just authentically authentic. Yeah. Real yeah. true pleasure and connection. Renee, it has been an absolute joy to speak with you. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing these really insightful, important uh, points. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover before we say goodbye today? Uh, no, you know, just just one thought. Um, well, I shared this on the on the farewell call, but I I I think we have to give our 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 men folk as it were. Um, a lot of room and, and credit to surprise us in this process. We come in with our worst fears that they are going to reject this content or fight. And no, and I know that some do, but I, I think they are as hungry for this as, as we are. And um, you, you, the, the bond, the bond that we will grow from this Um you know, I, I just, I have to credit to my husband because he just dove in, in a way that I never expected. So yeah, I, I think the work that you did, like, I know this is aimed at us, but the the men, the men are out there too, and they want this and it, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just speechless. There's just so much value in this content for men and women. Yeah. They absolutely consistently have done the opposite of what I expected them to do based on culture. That's it. <laughs> based That's on it. Our, our, our gender stereotypes and boxes that we're all, all in. And which is hugely validating that you're on the right path. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're onto something here. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for, um, yeah, just for mulling over these concepts with me and for the listeners, thank you for listening right to the end and I will talk to you in the next one. Bye for now. I know I just said goodbye, but I wanted to add a little reminder to get registered for the Wanting More 101 class. If you want to learn more about how our guest today made such big changes in her life and marriage. And I know that life can get busy. So now is the perfect time to head to janadentonhouse.com slash free class to get your spot and finally solve this issue for good. Yes, it is possible. And the first step that our guest today took was to attend this free class. And it is not just a long advertisement for my program, I promise. Outside of the 15 minutes I take to introduce my paid offerings, it's packed full of insight that you can take and implement into your relationship ASAP. Not to mention the validation you will get from seeing hundreds of women say things that you just thought were in your head alone. They aren't, I promise. I hope to see you there.